We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, like the 2019 C-Class Sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. You are listening to Rotoviz Radio, a fantasy football podcast. With your host, Matthew Friedman. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle of the Action Network and Rotoviz. Welcome to a special edition of Rotoviz Radio. Today we are talking about the Los Angeles Rams. In between the NFL Combine and the draft, I'm interviewing beat reporters for every franchise 32 teams, 32 beat writers, and 32 episodes. We are covering team needs, free agency, draft rumors, basically everything between now and day one of the draft. For this episode, I'm joined by Ryan Cartgee of the Orange County Register, where he covers the NFL and the Los Angeles Rams. In this episode, he talks with us about the team's aggressiveness in acquiring players during the offseason, the development of quarterback Jared Goff, and the impact of head coach Sean McVay on the franchise's culture. Before we get to the guest, I'd like to remind you that you can get a listeners-only 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL pass through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all the premium NFL content on the site, and it supports the pod. A quick note, I recorded my segment with Ryan a few hours before news broke of the Brandon Cooks trade. Great timing. So some of our conversation is no longer pertinent, but there's still a lot of good stuff in there. And then after the interview, I give my immediate thoughts on the trade for Cooks, as well as everything we talked about in the conversation. All right, let's get to the guest.
Please welcome to the show Ryan Karchi of the Orange County Register. You can follow him on Twitter at Ryan underscore Karchi, where he provides up-to-the-minute news on everything to do with the NFL. Ryan, thanks for taking the time to talk with us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's fantastic to... Uh, to uh, to get your insight because there's a lot happening with the uh, the Los Angeles teams and they're you know both relatively still new to the city so a lot of enthusiasm there and uh, really the Rams you know kind of came from nowhere last year and they've made a lot of moves and as we're recording this it is uh, it's April third Wednesday sorry it's Tuesday I'm, I'm getting my days mixed up but it's Tuesday. And, uh, you know, there's the possibility, there are rumors that Odell Beckham Jr., you know, uh, might be a potential trade target for the Rams. Uh, give us your thoughts on this. Are the Rams serious suitors for Odell Beckham Jr.? You know, just given the aggressive moves they've already made this offseason, I know you alluded to them. Uh, I wouldn't be that stunned at this point if they were, you know, able to pull off a, a deal that would have seemed crazy even just a couple months ago, but no, I, the Rams are clearly showing that they're, they're trying to make a swing for the Super Bowl. And in the NFL, you really have the best window to do that is when you have a quarterback on a rookie deal. And that's what the Rams have. So they're definitely trying to take advantage Uh, as for whether they could, would actually be able to trade for Odell Beckham. I I think it's still pretty early. I'm hesitant to believe that the Giants would just, you know, easily agree to a trade of a wide receiver that you know has as many touchdowns in his amount of career games that he's played at, as only Rob Gronkowski and Jerry Rice. We're talking about one of the best, most elite talents you're going to have at that position. I don't think the Giants are going to get rid of him easily. But, you know, if, if the Giants came to the Rams and said, give us a, a first-round pick and a third-round pick, if the Rams can move some things around, I, I think that's definitely worth listening to. So uh, I wouldn't rule it out, uh, but at this point, I think it's probably safe to wait patiently and not assume something will happen anytime soon. So you mentioned that the the ideal window for optimizing a Super Bowl win is with a, a quarterback when he's on his first contract. And Jared Goff uh, certainly had a great season last year. Uh, vast improvement on what we saw his rookie season. Uh, of course, a lot of that uh, presumably had to do with uh, new coach, new scheme. Um, what do you think we could expect to see from Jared Goff this season, and how much of his previous success, uh, this is the success in 2017, uh, do you think has to do with Sean McVay? Like, is is he really that good, or is he more of a kind of quote unquote system quarterback? And we're not sure what we will see from him moving forward. Well, I think I think it's a little bit of both, right? Uh, Sean McVay coming in definitely put him in a good position uh, where he could grow. Now, I would also give him credit in that situation too. I mean, he took advantage of of an offense that you know put him in those positions, but he still has to make the throws. He still has a, enough arm talent. You can understand why he went first overall in the draft. I mean. Uh, you know, some of the outside intermediate throws that he's able to make, you know, he has the potential to be a a solid starting quarterback in this league. Now, whether he really makes that next jump, especially this season, is really interesting to me just because, you know, people aren't going to be shocked by Sean McVay and the Rams next year. Things are going to be a little bit different. They will have had an entire offseason to prepare for Sean McVay's offense. So, 
you know, there are a lot of question marks still on that offense. I know, you know, even Rams fans are still a little bit leery of, of Jared Goff, just given how his career started. But, you know, he showed, he showed in bits and pieces last year that he does have the ability to, to transcend just being a system quarterback. And at this point, I, I wouldn't bet against him just yet. But I, I'm moving forward with cautious optimism, I guess. Uh, sticking with the offense, uh, you know, Todd Gurley had a fantastic season, and that definitely helped take pressure off of Jared Goff, just what Gurley was able to accomplish both as a runner and as a receiver in the passing game. Um, I believe that Gurley is entering uh, the, the fourth year of his deal, so potentially the final year of his deal, although I, I imagine they will extend him or maybe they've already extended him. But what what is the future for Gurley with the L.A. Rams? So he is entering the fourth year of his deal uh, because he was a first-round pick. Uh, the Rams will almost certainly, they definitely will, uh, tender his fifth year of his contract. So they'll have him under his contract for that fifth year. But at some point, that, those contract talks are, are going to be looming. Um, I'm sure Todd Gurley's agent will probably try to get those conversations started you know, after this next season which is what makes this season especially important for him in terms of what he can do in the Rams offense. I mean, we saw last year, a lot of people thought he was deserving of MVP. Um, I wouldn't disagree with them on that front. Uh, he really emerged as kind of that, that all-purpose weapon that the Rams thought he would be when they initially drafted him. And Sean McVay is only just kind of figuring out how to unlock his talent. I know, I'm sure, you know, given Sean McVay's the study of football in general, I'm sure he'll have even more, uh, you know, new wrinkles to the offense that will take advantage of Gurley's skill set. So I think he's bound for a huge season this year. And I think, you know, heading into next season, the Rams are, are going to be in a place where they're going to have to consider whether it's worth giving a ton of money and, and a long contract to a running back where you're in a league that where running backs, you know, every year we wonder, you know, it, uh, are they really as valuable as we think they are? So, a lot of interesting things coming up on that front. I think one of the things that's uh, really amazing about the success that the Rams had last year was that Goff was throwing to an entirely new group of receivers. Uh, Robert Woods was in his first year with the team. Cooper Cup was a rookie. And then, of course, Sammy Watkins was acquired during training camp. Uh, so really a, a entirely new group that he was throwing to. Now he has more familiarity with the group. Woods is there. Cup is there. Watkins is gone. Uh, but, you know, presumably Reynolds, Josh Reynolds might be a guy who slides in as that third receiver. How, and then of course, Tavon Austin is still there. Someone who uh, has managed to, to cling uh, to the team for many years. But what do we think that that unit is going to look like moving forward? And will there be even more production for that group? Yeah, maybe the biggest shock of the Rams offseason was that Tavon Austin is still on the roster. Pretty much everyone had him pinned for being cut at some point in the offseason. But it seems like he'll stick. And, and you know, they, they've talked about ways to get him involved. I mean, before they traded for Sammy Watkins, whether we believe them or not, they talked about making Tavon Austin potentially into like a Deshaun Jackson-like uh, deep threat. Now, whether you want to believe that's possible or not is up to you, but you know, he is a shifty, you know, quick player in space, and they, there's definitely going to be a role for him, especially at his reduced contract. But 
I think that the one most likely to step into Sammy Watkins void is probably Josh Reynolds, like you mentioned. Uh, the Rams really liked what they saw from him it, just in limited action last year. He was They always kind of knew he was a raw talent. Uh, he still needs to you know, get a, be a little bit more polished in his routes, and there's definitely some growth there. But you know, he's a big target, at, but he's also you know a great deep threat, which is key in Sean McVay's offense, and that's definitely what they lost with Sammy Watkins. But, I, you know, I, I think they, the offense is going to be different without Sammy Watkins, but the reality was, like you were mentioning, the, the chemistry with Sammy Watkins was definitely at a – you know, a lower level than it was with Robert Woods and Cooper Cup, uh, both of whom I would imagine, you know, heading into this next year will play an even larger role as well as the young tight ends, you know, who they've had in the offense these last couple of years. So uh, I don't know that the Rams will really miss Sammy Watkins, mostly just because Sean McVay knows how to put specific talents into specific spots for them to succeed. And, you know, at this point, he's really maximizing the talent they have at that position already. You mentioned the, the two tight ends. I'm wondering if you can talk about them a little bit more. Tyler Higby, Gerald Everett, both of them young guys. Sean McVay, having come from Washington where, uh, you know, he witnessed firsthand the impact that a very strong pass-catching tight end can have on an offense in Jordan Reed. What do you think we'll see out of Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett this year? Well, I think you know, that there's kind of the old axiom in the NFL, right, that, that no rookie tight end ever really succeeds. And but in both cases, you know, Gerald Everett and Tyler Higby both kind of had their bumps in the road as rookies. But, you know, Tyler Higby, in theory, should you would have thought by now he, he might have taken the reins of that job. But I honestly think, you know, by this next season, we'll probably see Gerald Everett move into that spot. You know, we've heard Sean McVay drop comparisons to Jordan Reed pretty freely when talking about Gerald Everett. Uh, and and even in spurts last year, I mean, they we saw that he was an athletic player who, you know, if he's if he's catching passes across the middle, like he, he can extend them into 20, 30-yard gains. So I think they like what they've seen from him. But, you know, like most tight ends, he has to learn how to block. He has to learn how to, you know, run routes, really. At this point, he's kind of just a ball of athletic clay. So, whether it's this year that he really breaks out or whether it's maybe even next year, you know, I think they, they like what they've seen from him. Um, and Sean McVay said a lot last year how he wished the tight ends were more involved. So especially with Sammy Watkins gone, I'm sure we'll see a little bit more of that. So we're going to talk about the, the defense in just a little bit, but just looking at this offense as a whole, there aren't any really huge weaknesses that are identifiable. Uh, you know, maybe they could look to upgrade a little bit at wide receiver, or maybe somewhere along the offensive line. But thinking about the draft, if they are going to look to address the offense in any sort of significant way, uh, you know, with a, a first, a second, or a third round pick, where do you think they are targeting? Uh, I would assume that they they need to start looking towards the offensive line, especially in those middle rounds uh, where most of their picks are. Uh, Andrew Whitworth, their left tackle is 36 years old. I mean, he went to the Pro Bowl last year. He was probably, you know, I would say undoubtedly their most important signing in terms of turning around the the offense. Um, he's not getting any younger. So at some point, they need to look at as a left tackle of the future. And their center, John Sullivan, who they re-signed uh, on a two-year deal, is 35, or going to be 35, I believe, this year, 34. Um, so again, they they need to find a new center. I think at some point, 
you know, we'll see them address those positions. But, you know, I, I know they – They've talked in the past about developmental offensive linemen where they can move, they value guys who are versatile, who can move to different positions. So if I had to take a stab, I would, I would assume, you know, sometimes in that fourth round range, we'll see them try to get a, a guy who might be able to slot in at a few positions. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with my bookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. All right, let's uh, let's talk about the defense. And man, uh, it's it's pretty incredible how good the defense was last year, and then the transformation that we've seen in the defense in the off season. So Alec Ogletree is gone. Robert Quinn is gone. Tremaine Johnson is gone. And then coming into the defense, uh, in the middle, you have Ndamukong Sue, and then on the outside at cornerback, you have Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib, uh, talk about the the aggressiveness with which this team has rolled over uh, the, the roster on defense. Yeah, it really is remarkable. I, I know Wade Phillips, and I think this is more a credit to him than anything. It's that we talked a lot last season about fit and whether certain players fit in, in his 3-4 scheme, and you know, he never really complained about certain guys not fitting, but there were there were clearly players that that didn't quite fit most in that scheme, and they happen to be the three players that are no longer on the team. Um, so I, I think it's pretty clear that you know, Wade Phillips was operating last season with a lot of players who weren't even really great fits for his scheme. Um, now you you've seen him implement guys this off season that fit his scheme perfectly. I mean, a key to lead was a two-time pro bowler when he played with Denver under Wade Phillips. Uh, Marcus Peters is kind of in that same aggressive uh, man cover corner mold that, that Wade Phillips loves. And both of those guys are, you know, huge playmakers in terms of forcing turnovers. So I think that really changes the entire look of, of the defense and how the defense will be called on a game by game basis. But you know, Indomitian Sue is obviously the headliner of the, of the entire group. And, you know, just because of, of what he'll be able to do with Aaron Don- next to Aaron Donald and Michael Brockers, I mean, he'll, he'll keep double teams away from both of those guys. And at this point, I, I don't know what I would do if I'm an offensive coordinator trying to, to plan who to double team between Indomitian Sue and Aaron Donald. But you're talking about the two best interior rushers in the NFL standing right next to each other. So, just that ability to create a mismatch in that sense will, again, just change the entire composition of the defense. And, you know, depending on what they do with the linebacker position, which is clearly, you know, their weakness right now, uh, I'd say this is definitely going to be an improved defense 
from what it was last year and maybe even one of the NFL's best defenses. So you've recently done a mock draft, and uh, I've seen that you've slotted uh, Harold Landry, uh, edge rusher from Boston College, to the Rams uh, in the first round. Can you talk a little bit about that fit? And, uh, you know, you, you mentioned linebacker as a position of need. I also think that, uh, you know, outside linebacker, and I guess, you know, you could include uh-huh. inside linebacker in, in that, but uh, can you talk a little bit about how he might fit with the team, but then also really what the team might be looking to do in the first round to improve its defense? Yeah, I think that Harold Landry Pickett is pretty optimistic. I will say the way the my first mock draft broke, turned out pretty great for the Rams. I, I think he really is a perfect fit. You know, he's the, that scheme just generally uh, would allow him to use his athleticism off the edge. He'd be better probably against the run than Robert Quinn was. So you'd eventually just be getting a, a younger, better upgrade at that spot uh, if Landry does kind of work out the way we think he will. But you know, if he's not available, which, you know, there's always teams looking for edge rushers sometime in the first round. Uh, if he's not available, then I, I would imagine still that the Rams try to address it, the inside linebacker or outside linebacker positions. You know, when you get rid of Robert Quinn, when you let Alec Ogletree go, granted he had a little, he had some issues last year, but when you're expecting younger players to fit in, fill in at all those spots, you know, that's a pretty dangerous game to be playing. So I think at, at some point you're going to have to get some more talent at those positions. Uh, and with not that many picks up at the top of the of the draft, I think this is really the time where they have to take advantage of that. And there's a couple of guys I, I think that could work for them in, in terms of that position. So we'll see what happens. But, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, be surprised if the Rams traded down, too. Maybe they want to add more picks. So it's uh, they've definitely been a wild card when it comes to this stuff. Not to put you on the spot when it comes to any particular draft picks, but uh, one guy that uh, – so I recently did a, a mock draft, and uh, Harold Landry was already off the board when I got to the Rams. Uh, and so I, I gave them Leighton Vander Esch, the inside linebacker or off-ball linebacker from Boise State, a, a, an athletic guy, uh, but who can do a lot, uh, fairly versatile. Do you have any thoughts on how he would maybe fit into that scheme? Yeah, you know, I could see that working too. I, you know, he he showed how athletic he is, and I think that's something that, uh, you know, the Rams will be looking for, especially at that spot. Um they have a couple guys there that they they like right now, and I I know they they mentioned Corey Littleton in particular, uh, who's you know young player, stand out on special teams, kind of shown that he may be able to fill in at that inside linebacker spot. But you know I think they're gonna they would probably look for an edge rusher first, but like we've kind of mentioned, you know there's not a ton of talent that makes sense at the end of the first round in terms of edge rushers, so. You know, if they do end up with a guy like Leighton Van Der Esch, I, I think they'll be happy with something like that. They just need to address their, you know, linebacking core somehow. And they, there's still the possibility that they could bring back a guy like Connor Barwin, who, you know, looked decent at times last year. Uh, and maybe that becomes the case if they don't get a, an outside linebacker that quickly. Um, but yeah, I, I really think linebacker is the spot, though, that they'll be looking at. But you know, they've surprised me already, like I said, this offseason. 
Uh, are there any other prospects, not necessarily for the first round, but just guys kind of regardless of where they might be slotted for the draft, but guys who kind of stand out for one reason or another as maybe being the type of player uh, who could fit in with the Rams? Uh, you know, I and maybe it's maybe it's my bias being in L.A., but if we're talking about you know, outside edge rusher players, I just loved what I've seen from Uchenna Nuosu. Uh, this past year, especially, uh, I, I think he has that kind of ability to, you know, keep an edge and still be a good run defender. Um, especially given that that was, you know, the Rams issue last year, uh, but also, you know, be a pretty dynamite pass rusher and someone who, who's clearly gotten better at that over the past few years. So I think just having a, a guy like that, um, who's clearly shown he has a higher ceiling than what he's shown already. Uh, I think he could fit in, you know, someone, if, you know, he were to drop into potentially the third round, I don't know if that would happen, but, you know, I, I, I like that fit. Uh, but at this point, you know, I can't say I'm an expert on edge rushers, but so they Wade Phillips. I think I, I trust his opinion. All right, Ryan, this has been a lot of fun. One last question here and just kind of more of a, a macro question. Um, you know, two years ago, you had uh, the Jeff Fox era uh, shown on TV. Everyone could watch it. Uh, and then now we're pretty uh, pretty firmly in the Sean McVay era. Um, can you talk a little bit just about, like, the organizational difference uh, with those two guys at the top and um, – just kind of like how the organization seems to have reoriented itself fairly quickly uh, over the last year. And I guess just the general ethos of the Rams. So it is completely turned on its head uh, over the course of the past year. And, you know, I would credit that entirely to Sean McVay. Just the attitude that he brings into the building is in such stark contrast to to what things were like under Jeff Fisher and, and players liked Jeff Fisher. Uh, that was not, that wasn't the issue. Jeff Fisher was, you know, might've been a little bit more lax in the way he approached the game to game uh, preparations than Sean McVay is. Sean McVay now, if players are late for a meeting by even, you know, one second, they get fined the max amount uh, for players missing a meeting. It's a couple grand. I mean, this is not, you know, pocket change that these guys are getting rid of in these situations. So he's really changed just the accountability of the team. And I always thought that was the issue with the old team that, you know, people would make mistakes. They point fingers at each other. Excuses would be made. Uh, you don't see that happening anymore. And I think Sean McVay, even in spite of his young age, has kind of commanded respect immediately. Now we'll see how that changes when you add a, a couple of volatile, personalities to the locker room, like to leave Marcus Peters and Duncan Sue, they've all had their kind of issues uh, at certain times throughout their career. So you know, we'll see how he handles that, but just given how quickly things turned around, you know, just in this past year, I have a hard time doubting that, that he'll be able to handle it in the same way. So I think we'll see the Rams take even another step forward this season. All right, Ryan, this was fantastic. Thank you for all of your insight, and we hope to talk with you again as we get closer to the season. Great. Thanks for having me.
we just finished speaking with Ryan Karchi, a Rams beat writer for the Orange County Register. We covered a lot, and uh, we didn't even touch on the Brandon Cooks trade because it hadn't happened yet. So here are some of my thoughts. We opened by talking about the team's aggressiveness in acquiring players during the offseason and what that might mean for the possibility of acquiring Odell Beckham Jr., uh, obviously, who you know, presumably will no longer be acquired. Uh, to recap, the team acquired Marcus Peters from the Chiefs via trade. They gave away a fourth rounder this year and a second rounder next year. They traded a fifth rounder for Aqib Tlaib. Tlaib is under contract for two years. Peters is under contract for one year, and the team has an option to pick up a second season, which uh, it presumably will. Uh, so with those two on the outside, and then Nikel Roby Coleman in the slot, and LaMarcus Joyner and John Johnson at safety, the Rams have maybe the best secondary in the league. Um, and that's a direct result of the team's aggressiveness in adding players. Uh, and also the team's willingness to cut players uh, or to let players walk. They let Tremaine Johnson go via free agency. They traded edge rusher Robert Quinn to the Dolphins for a fourth rounder. And then they signed defensive tackle Ndamukong Sue, formerly of the Dolphins, to a one-year $14 million deal. So you have Sue next to Aaron Donald and Michael Brockers. Um, that's a pretty fearsome trio there in the middle. Um and then they traded their first rounder for Brandon Cooks. Just amazing. No team has been as aggressive this offseason as the Rams. And uh, that's kind of in keeping. You know, like with the personality of their coach, they have been a fairly aggressive team just in everything that they have done uh, over the past season. And you look at these moves and in the aggregate, what it means is that this team is maximizing for this season. And I think it makes sense, as Ryan said, the time to uh, to maximize your championship window is when you have a quarterback who is on his rookie deal, uh, or you know, at, in some way, a quarterback who is cheap relative to the impact that he has on the team and its ability to win games. And uh, so the team is maximized for this year by trading, uh, you know, potential unknown assets in order to get high quality known assets for a fairly certain duration of time. Right, so the the team knows what picks it has, um, but it, it doesn't know one what players it can get with those picks, and then two what type of production it really will be able to get from those players, uh, and and it doesn't really know how long those players will be able to give the production. Right, there's so many unknown factors with their draft picks, and they are able to translate those into assets that are pretty known, right? They, they know how long they're going to have those players under contract. Um, you know, maybe they'll be able to do some extensions or things like that, but generally speaking, they know how long they have those players. They know what those players are able to do in the NFL. And they probably even have a greater sense of what those players might be able to do within their system than they would if they were just evaluating a player coming from college. So if you are trying to maximize within a certain period of time, it makes a lot of sense to trade away uncertainty for certainty. And I think even if you are trading away upside for certainty, it probably makes sense. But here's the thing. They might not even be trading away upside, right? I think too many teams value draft picks too highly, right? Too many teams are trying to maximize for eternity, and they think that if they draft a rookie, they might 
be able to get a 10-year All-Pro, and they place too high of a value on the possibility of that happening. Like, that might happen, but it rarely happens, right? So, I like, I understand the desire to hoard draft picks. <coughs> Sorry for that little cough there. So, I understand the desire to hoard draft picks uh, and to to think with a really long-term horizon. And they're, not that as if there's anything wrong with being long-term. Like, I, I think that makes sense to be long-term um, when possible. At the same time, you never want to be long-term at the expense of uh, a very strong opportunity to win a championship in the present moment. Um, you know, I think you can look at, at the Eagles. No one picked them entering the season to win a championship. You know, but they had a good defense. They brought in, they maximized for the year by bringing in, you know, core players, good pass catchers for their quarterback. You know, they traded in the middle of the season for Jay Ajayi. It, you know, they maximized for that season. And then you look and, uh, you know, they have salary cap issues, right? But those are actually pretty easily solved. You cut, you cut people, you trade people. They maximized for last season and they won, you know, uh, and they're doing it again this year, you know, by, by keeping their backup quarterback. I think the, the Rams are doing something very similar. They're looking to maximize this year. And that's not to say that, you know, forever, like the solution is to trade away draft picks. That's, that's not an answer. But when you have a, a an asset, a winning asset, like your quarterback, who's cheap and you have a very good defense you try to maximize to win a championship. And that's what the Rams are doing. I think it's fantastic. Uh, obviously, eventually, they need to hit on some of their draft picks. They need to develop depth. But right now, they have a defense that last year was strong. This year could be the best in the league. Uh, they have one of the best running backs in the league. They have an offensive line that is good. But a year from now, it might be in shambles. Uh, just because they do have a lot of aging guys on that line. So another reason to maximize. You know, Again, you look at the Eagles. Uh, they've shown that a strong defense, a good offensive line, an innovative play caller, and a competent and you know maybe a little volatile quarterback, that that can get you to a Super Bowl. Uh, so it could work for the Rams this year. They have a good path to the playoffs into the Super Bowl coming from the NFC West. You know, looking looking a little bit more at Jared Goff and kind of examining the um, the assumption that he is a a good quarterback. Uh, you know that you would want to build around this this young asset on the cheap. I mean, he was horrible as a rookie. Um, so bad that basically everyone assumed that for the rest of the, the rest of his career, he was going to be doomed. Um, I think he basically just had a horrible case of Jeff Fisheritis. Uh, last year, he was good. I mean, he, I would say he was better than good. He was near elite. He led the league with 7.72 adjusted net yards per attempt. So what does that mean? What goes into that statistic? So that number is the basic yards per attempt metric, but it also has sack yards taken into account and then passing touchdowns and interceptions are also factored in. So to put some context around that number, the five quarterbacks last year who immediately trailed Goff in the metric were Drew Brees, Alex Smith, Phillip Rivers, Tom Brady, and Carson Wentz. All of them were Pro Bowl quarterbacks. In 2016, the top six in that metric were Matt Ryan, Brady, Dak Prescott, Kirk Cousins, Breeze, and Aaron Rodgers. Like, you know, again, a very good group. The metric isn't perfect, but it's 
pretty descriptive and representative of quarterbacks who are playing quote-unquote good football, right? Jared Goff last year, regardless of why he played good football, whether that's because he is inherently a good football player or whether it's because he's in a good system. Last year, he played very well. And what is encouraging about him is that he got better as the season progressed. So if you go to Rotoviz, you can use the Game Splits app to find this information. In the first seven games of the season, before the bye, he completed 59.9% of his passes. Not great, right? But just like around that sort of like that threshold 60% mark, right? He averaged 246.3 yards and 1.3 touchdowns per game, passing per game. 0.57 interceptions and 19.1 fantasy points per game. And the, and the team won during that span. He wasn't, you wouldn't look at him and say he was the reason that they won five of those first seven games, but he helped. He didn't hinder them. He, he did his job, right? But in none of those games did he have a 300 yard multi touchdown passing performance, right? He was just a, a very good game-managing-esque type of quarterback. After the bye, he was different. His yardage was a little bit higher, still nothing nothing super special, 256.9 per game, but he really advanced as a guy who scored touchdowns and protected the ball. So before the bye, 1.3 touchdowns. After the bye, 2.4 touchdowns per game. Before the bye, 0.57 interceptions after the bye, 0.38 interceptions. And he completed 63.9% of his passes after the bye. In the final eight weeks of the season, or final eight weeks that he played, he sat out week 17. But in, in the final eight weeks in which he was active, he had four 300-yard multi-touchdown games. Like, that's very good. So again, regardless of whether Goff on his own is a good quarterback or whether he's, you know, just a quote unquote system quarterback who gets the benefit of being with an innovative head coach. He is producing like a good quarterback and McVay's track record with Goff last year and with Kirk Cousins in Washington, the two years prior, that track record suggests that his quarterback should be counted on or is highly probable to continue to produce in the future, maybe not at an elite level, but at a very high level. And then, of course, now there's Brandon Cooks, right? You you throw that in the mix. And, uh, you know, I like the move that the Patriots did last year in trading a first rounder for Cooks for, um, you know, for two years of possibility there. Um, I like the move, <laughs> too, for, you know, for the Rams. I don't think it's quite as good as it was for the Patriots. You know, the Patriots were trading a pick further back in the first round. But I like the move. You know, Cooks is one of the most underappreciated receivers in the league. Over the last three years, he's averaged 1,131 yards receiving and eight touchdowns. Right, That's the average over the last three years. To put that in perspective, over that same time, only two wide receivers have had more yards and more touchdowns than Brandon Cooks. Those two guys are Antonio Brown and DeAndre Hopkins, probably the two best receivers in the league, right? But that's it. No one else. 
Obviously, there have been injuries to players, right? Uh, maybe they've had quarterback issues, right? But regardless, Cooks has been one of the best producers in the league over the last few few seasons, right? He's been consistent. He's been reliable. He's been available, right? He's, he's played in every game, right? Um, he's been more productive than Julio, right? Just look at the guys not on this list, right? The guys who aren't Antonio Brown and DeAndre Hopkins, but still very good and who've been outproduced by Brandon Cooks, right? Julio, AJ Green, Odell Beckham Jr., Mike Evans, Amari, right? Goff now has a very good wide receiver to throw to. If Woods, if Robert Woods can stay consistent, and if Cooper Cup can take a sophomore step forward, and Cup, by the way, another, I think, undervalued receiver, and if the tight ends can develop a little bit, and all that is very possible, maybe even probable, then this offense could be very good, right? And this is all to say nothing about the running back they have in Todd Gurley, right? Who has been one of the most productive backs of the last three seasons. And that's including his Fisher impacted sophomore season. That was basically a dumpster fire, but Todd Gurley, maybe the best running back in the league right now. And so much of this offensive goodness has to do with obviously McVay in uh, both his ability to run the offense, and I would say also his ability to delegate to Wade Phillips on defense, right? And I think you could almost even look at the example of Phillips when he has been a head coach. Just because a guy is a good play caller and a good coordinator doesn't mean that he's going to be a good head coach. Wade Phillips has unfortunately not been a good head coach in his career, but he's been one of the best you know, defensive coordinators um, in NFL history, you know, it could have been possible for McVay to befall that fate, right? Or that, let me rephrase that, for that fate to befall McVay. Um, McVay could have easily been a good coordinator with Washington, been hired as a head coach, and then, you know, just totally screwed up. That would have been possible. He could have mcdaniels it, you know? If you would have had to bet, you probably would have bet on, you know, young, offensive-oriented, first-year head coach. Yeah, he he pulls a McDaniels, you know, but he didn't, right? He was a good delegator. He didn't burden himself with the defense. He just entirely delegated that to Wade Phillips, let Phillips do what was best, and then that freed McVay up to concentrate on the offense, Right Of all the moves that McVeigh and general manager Les Snead have made in the past year, hiring Phillips was probably the best. And um, I mean, just thinking of McVeigh more, like the, the difference, the stark contrast to Jeff Fisher, it's obvious and it's hilarious. I, f- I figure that Fisher, I mean, I, I would think, right, before the conversation, I thought that Fisher might have been more of an old school disciplinarian than McVeigh. Um, it's funny to hear that that is not the case. It, it just seems unbelievable that McVeigh is more of a disciplinarian and more into accountability than Fisher was. I mean, if like Fisher isn't into discipline and, and accountability, like what did he have going for him? Isn't that like the point of having kind of like an old school coach? Like he can talk about like experience and he can sort of like whip the guys into shape. Like I, I kind of don't understand 
So, like, if, if Fisher didn't have that going for him, like, are you saying that McVay is more of a disciplinarian and kind of more ingenious when, when it comes to game planning and figuring out how to run a football team? It's, it's kind of uh, dumbfounding. But so the, the bottom line is that now the Rams this year are very much like the Pats last year. Uh, they have Brandon Cooks. They've just traded a first rounder for Brandon Cooks, but that means they have no first rounder and they also have no second rounder. So this is a team that basically is, it's not as if they are getting nothing out of the draft, but you, you look at the composition of the team and there's not really much that they need from the draft. And at this point, their first pick is in the third round and you know, the, the bottom half of the third round it's a good thing that they don't need much from the draft because they're really not going to be able to get much from the draft. Um, you know, of, of course, unless they trade a future pick for, you know, a, a first or a second rounder this year, which maybe they will again, if they're just really looking to maximize, but um, maybe they won't, you know, I kind of doubt that they will. Um, but you know, who knows, maybe they can pull off a deal where they really feel like they're getting good value and they do something like that. But for the most part, it looks like, they are not looking to the draft for help, maybe for some depth, but whatever they get in the draft isn't especially likely to determine anything for this season. It'll matter for the future, right, for 2019, 2020, but for now, the guys they have are the ones that they are likely to rely on for this season, the guys who are really going to determine how far this team goes in the playoffs. And as the group looks now, Considering that they are just one year removed from the Jeff Fisher era, uh, things are looking pretty good. And that's going to do it for this Rams-focused special edition of Rotoviz Radio. Be sure to check out the episodes for all the other teams on Rotoviz and the podcast feed. I'm Matt Friedman, Matt at the Oracle. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to this special edition of Rotoviz Radio, the flagship Rotoviz podcast. Special thanks to Hassan Rahim, the producer for this episode, and to Colm Kelly, the assistant executive producer for the podcast channel. Please review the show on iTunes under the Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, and follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the show by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz summer event, like the 2019 C-Class sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz summer event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz summer event, like the 2019 C-Class sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz summer event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. The wait is finally over. Notfest Roadshow is back. October 13th, Jiffy Lube Live. 
featuring Slipknot with Kill Switch Engage, Fever 333, and Code Orange. Tickets on sale now at LiveNation.com, part of the Metris Warehouse Concert Series. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.